listening to the Going Underground podcast from York Calling with me, Mars Salter. And in this episode, I'll be talking to Helen Mort about her brave and moving new memoir, A Line Above the Sky, which is published in March 2022. The book discusses Helen's sometimes fraught journey into motherhood and her passion for climbing, a subject that has occupied space in at least two of her other books. The latter of these subjects provides a neat metaphor as she's been steadily climbing the ladder of English literature for over a decade. Five times winner of the Foyle Young Poets Award, she received an Eric Gregory Award in 2007. In 2010, she became the youngest ever poet in residence at the Wordsworth Trust, and her debut poetry collection, Division Street, was widely acclaimed. She's published a second collection, No Map Could Show Them, which also reflects on her interest in climbing. Her first novel, Black Car Burning, was published in 2019, and her third collection of poems, The Illustrated Woman, comes out later this year. And I'm really delighted she's agreed to talk to us, as this is an interview I've wanted to do for ages. Helen, welcome, and thank you so much for joining us. Oh, no, thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, it's a pleasure. Um, yeah, it's lovely to get to talk to you as well. How, how are you, first of all? I'm fine, thank you. I've just recovered from COVID, so I'm feeling much better than I was. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I'm good. Uh, and um, uh, enjoying the start of spring because it's the beginning of March and you start to get that that feeling of coming out of hibernation, don't you? And I, I, I find that I always get um, a bit more optimistic at this time of year after a long, cold, depressing winter. Oh, don't get me started. The English winter. I mean, it was bright in York today, but it was so cold. Yeah. Anyway, anyway we're, we're heading out. Yeah. Um, so thank you so much for talking to us. And, and uh, it's lovely to, to, to have a chat with you and talk about the new book. I, w I wanted to um, start by asking you, can you remember the first time that you got excited by words and, and the places that words take you? Um, uh, no, because I think it was almost pre-verbal for me. Um, I definitely remember being interested in sounds and sound patterning when I was a kid and listening to the radio from quite, quite a young age. Um, so I guess I can remember, uh, this isn't the first time that I was excited about words and about language, but I can definitely remember being about 11 or 12 and, um, having this ritual where I would sit down at, at um, a table and light some candles. And uh, it's all very cliched, isn't it? And and, and try and write um, these sort of poem-like things or try and express myself on on paper with um, with the words in the middle and the space around it, which I guess is was something gesturing towards a poem. And I can just remember um, sitting in Chesterfield with this the view outside my mum and dad's house used to always be of this field with pylons in this long chain of pylons stretching into the distance and it's kind of um, a funny landscape because it's it's not urban and it's not rural either it's kind of a ex-industrial um, Derbyshire landscape and I just remember looking out into the field and looking at the pylons and thinking that I could write about this. I could write about the, the feeling that that landscape gave me, that sort of sense of, of things being out of reach or a possibility. Um, so, yeah, I think it must have started quite early. And I still feel that way about that that view and that landscape. Um, so it's it's kind of, uh, 
and it's still the kind of thing that I want to write about, funnily enough. So I've obviously not moved on uh, a huge amount in the intervening decades. Um, <laughs> well, it, I mean, it certainly ties in neatly with uh, with your new book, A Line Above the Sky. Yeah. And also, if I think about that room and think about the house, my memories of being there are also of reading books by famous mountaineers and famous climbers, which, um, like for a lot of people, that was my first contact with the idea of um, climbing, really. It was through books and through mountaineering literature. So I was reading things like Joe Simpson's Touching the Void um, and John Krakauer and um, Heinrich Harris, The White Spider and all these kind of classics of mountaineering literature, which it only struck me later were, were all written by men. Um, and it was actually my dad who, my, my dad, um, introduced me to um to poetry really and also to my love of the outdoors because he'd take me walking and he was a big um Scottish mountain enthusiast but I definitely remember him giving me these books um by female climbers and saying you know what you should read some of these um so he gave me work by Julie Tullis and then later the biography of Alison Hargreaves which is something that I've ended up returning to um so yeah I, I it was such a tiny room but so many of my formative memories of writing and reading are from this little little space um in my parents house so the the so line above the sky really there's kind of two there's sort of two uh, narratives. One is about climbing, and the places the places that that can take you, which which we'll we'll maybe talk about that some more. And the other one is about uh, motherhood and and being a parent. And you've said that you put your heart and soul into it, and I could I could really feel that in the writing. Um, it surprised me because I I didn't think. When I thought, oh, this is a book about climbing and motherhood, I thought, well, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure how I'm going to get on with this, but it surprised me. It surprised me. I was very moved by it, and I felt it was very, yeah, I just found it very moving. And I think the reason was that it, it's a very visceral, it's kind of very visceral, it's very existential, which is the kind of stuff I really like. Um, what, was your, what was your kind of original intention? Um, well, this was a this was kind of a book that came about through conversations with my agent, actually. So it was him that suggested the idea of writing. I I, I was terrified because I, I'd never written a, anything autobiographical in a in a straightforward sort of way before. Obviously, poems sometimes draw an autobiography, but you can kind of get away with it because um, people assume you're being surreal or making things up. Um, but so I was kind of terrified and I just thought, oh, I don't think uh, I don't know if I can if I can do this. And I, I'm, I'm one of those people who thinks that if something scares you, it's usually a good reason to give it a try. Um, so I've done that in lots of ways. Like one of my last books was about um, was about dogs and uh, mountaineering and, and dogs. And I only got dogs because I had a phobia of dogs from when I was a child. Um, so, and I, I find that the only thing that works for me is to sort of feel the fear and do it anyway. Um, so it was a bit like that with the memoir. And it was also a way of, of, of me, yeah, exploring some things about the body, I guess, and about vulnerability that, that are always there, I think, in my work in different genres. And this was a different way of approaching it. So as you say, I did want it to be quite visceral. Um, oh, and I'm really, really pleased that you found some of that re relatable because I suppose maybe this comes from a background in poetry. I don't know this sort of um, 
urge to find things that that are particular that might represent a universal so to me a lot of those experiences that might seem quite specific to motherhood and to climbing are actually versions of what many different people might grapple with differently in their lives it's, it's all metaphor as well I think to 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 me um, yeah it, it's interesting if that thing about fear um there's a great track. I don't know if you know this track called uh, called Sunscreen, mm-hmm, and it's mm-hmm. all this advice. It's all this advice that this guy is giving to these students when they graduate. And one of the lines is, uh, "Do one thing every day that scares you." <laughs> advice. I think it's really good advice. Definitely. <laughs> but um, there was the, the, there's something very palpable in the book about exploring, kind of going to your limits, exploring your limits. I mean, I was quite impressed because there's one point. There's one point when you talk about you run, you ran a marathon in three hours. I thought, I thought, blimey, is this is this woman completely driven? You know, <laughs> um, and, and and also that the climbing the climbing mentality. You know, that's so. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, how does that just just reflect on that for me? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm interested in the idea of being driven I suppose and how that might change um, with the with the the rest of your life so for instance since my son was born I don't feel driven to do marathons particularly I don't I don't go out into the hills in the same way that I used to I don't really have goals um I just go and meander with him and well you know what this is like little little kids are very good for meandering with aren't they because they don't go in straight lines and they sort of uh, stop and then they go too fast and so I really really enjoy just being out and not having that that um that kind of it sounds like a terrible cliche but living in the moment a bit more at the same time though I am really interested in how culturally I guess we um particularly in the media how we evaluate and judge um particularly well and anyone who does um something as risky as mountaineering and there's been loads of films about this recently there's like free solo about alex honnold and the alpinist and recently a film about the the death of alex lowe who was a, a father who died in the mountains there's this real appetite for films at the moment that explore the psychology of drivenness and risk taking in the outdoors and for me there's an extra layer of interest around how um how how differently society judges women who pursue and continue to pursue those risks um even more harshly like some sometimes men who do those things in the mountains get called selfish for instance and um i think inherently climbing is quite a selfish activity it just sort of is it's noble and selfish at the same time like writing um but there's something particular, I think, for for female climbers and particularly for mothers about being viewed in that way that is really, really taboo. So I sort of wanted to explore. So I've not chosen to continue trying to be ambitious about stuff that I do outdoors um, since my son was born. But Alison Hargreaves, the woman um, that I'm writing about in the book, who died in the 90s on K2 after successfully summiting Everest and various other feats, um, 
she did and she continued to go to the mountains and to do really ambitious things with her after she'd had her kids and she died and she was judged very harshly for those decisions um so i'm kind of in i'm i'm, I'm the most books for me arise from a sort of question that I don't quite know the answer to or don't know how I feel about it um because I think that's where the interesting stuff lies so I was interested for example in well how is it that I can defend Alison Hargreaves's right to have done exactly what she did and think that it's it's bad that she was judged in the media um after her death um but yet I know I couldn't do it myself. Um, is there a tension there? How do I explore it? What does that tell me? Um, and so that, that's kind of one of the questions that, um, that this book did start from, I guess. And I think it's probably clear to anyone reading it that I have a massively sympathetic um, um, view of Alison Hargreaves and I, she's kind of a hero to me. So it's, it's in no way intended to be, to be critical of her, but I'm interested in these decisions that we make and what happens if you're making those decisions publicly as she was um, because she was in the public eye I guess I saw I went to see uh free solo in the cinema it's a few years ago now it's probably probably three or four years ago oh my goodness my heart was in my mouth I mean it was just I mean it's just extraordinary it's an extraordinary piece of filmmaking but I did I did I mean, I, I admired him, the guy that climbed, climbed that face in, in Yosemite. Yeah. Uh, I admired him, but I also had a question. I thought afterwards, I thought, well, hang on a second. Is, was he being irresponsible? Mm. I think it's really interesting because, um, so Alex Honnold, the climber in that film, um, his mother, uh, so I thought, what does his mum think watching him do that? Because I was imagining yeah. how I did. Yeah. She's, she's written some, some brilliant and profound things about that and about that element of risk-taking and responsibility um, in, in, um, in her own writing. And she sort of argues that um, she's, she says, she, no, she, she would never try to stop him doing it. He's got his own risk assessment. He knows what he's capable of. Um, and also that he's he's being responsible to what he needs to do um, and that it's and a lot of climbers will talk about this. It's very interesting at that high level that there's a lot of um, conversation around control. Um, and what you'll find is that a lot of people operating at that sort of level um, will maintain that actually what they're doing isn't that risky because of their skill set and their knowledge and their judgment. It's true and not true at the same time. And again, I'm really interested in those kinds of questions. The risk is also part of the process and part of what you accept. And, it, and if, you, if you're that kind of mountaineer um, and you've been in the climbing community long enough, you're going to start to know a lot of people who've died. It, it is, so it's both sincere and a bit like a trick I think you have to play on yourself to to keep uh, climbing if that makes well sense. you do you you talk a lot about this in the book and, and the story about Alison Hargreaves who who you obviously you obviously identify a lot with her the story about her is very powerful and very moving but like you say you know people were critical she died on k2 and then many years later her son died so so again it's kind of like you know, you admire their guts and their courage. I mean, I would, I would be hopeless on a mountain. I'd be, I'd be, I'd be hopeless. But you admire their courage. But at the same time, you think, well, you know, there's a, 
there's a terrible price here as well, isn't there? There can be, um, yeah. Um, and, and again, you wonder, as a mother, what would she have thought about what her son ended up um, doing as his career? Um, that, that I imagine there's a conflict there because you'd feel incredibly proud and joyful, perhaps, that your child has found um, meaning and exhilaration and joy in the mountains, in this thing that was very precious to you, this sort of shared passion. But at the same time, you've got that instinct of wanting to protect them and wanting to, to look out for them and make sure they're okay. So again, that's not straightforward. I mean, yeah, as you can probably tell, I've got pretty ambivalent feelings about, um, I, I think people... I think at the end of the day, you've got to just let everybody um, make their own private risk assessment because there's lots of other ways that people damage themselves and people close to that they can do without ever leaving the house. Um, so it's not just climbing. Climbing is just a kind of um, high profile example of it. But there's a great, great book that I highly recommend um, by um, Maria Coffey, which is spelt... Um, C-O-F-F-E-Y um, called Where the Mountain Casts Its Shadow. And that's all about the families of mountaineers. It's about the people left behind at home and about hearing their stories. And I think that's really important as well. Um, you know, they don't get a choice about they're, they're they're waiting. They're sort of uh, there's a great new film um called Torn, which is about the life and death of um. Alex Lowe, um, the mountaineer, and the impact on his family and their subsequent sort of um, recovery from his loss. Um, that's a fascinating film about all these things, and it's very, very moving. Um, yeah, definitely recommend that. As well as talking about climbing and, and Alison Hargreaves' story, um, that you put, you you really you really make yourself quite vulnerable in this book, and I wanted to talk to you about that. What what was it like to do that? And do you are you are you happy with that kind of vulnerability, or or do you or do you think there's a again do you think there's a kind of risk involved with that? Of course, there's a risk involved, um, and um, again, sometimes it can be a bit of a gendered risk. Um, I've been reading this brilliant brilliant book by Melissa Phoebus called Body Work, which is about memoir writing and about. Yeah, I saw you mention that on Twitter, didn't you? Yeah, it's absolutely amazing. And she talks about the fear um, of, of writing um, candidly and writing about yourself and being accused of navel gazing and stuff like that. And she has this great bit in it where she says, and I think this is quite a good point, it, it depends on on who's doing it and how they're doing it, how we, how we judge it. So, for instance, she says, so... Uh, you know, Karl Ove Nausgaard is considered a genius for his chronicling of the domestic and the personal and the the the, the vulnerable. But my students on my um, you know my MFA course are scared to write about motherhood in case they're considered to be vain or uh, overly sentimental. Blah blah blah. So yeah, there are risks, but um, I don't think it particularly feels like a choice for me because I think. I think often we, we are always being vulnerable in writing in the first place. And um, I know that I respond to that really well in the work of other writers. I, I, I want to, to see something of that vulnerability. It's not to everyone's taste. It's not everyone's cup, cup of tea. Um, and obviously you can take it or leave it, but I, I don't imagine someone's going to pick my book up or persevere with it if they, if they don't 
respond to that in in some way they would choose a much more um narrative driven there's lots of mountaineering books that they could read that would be more kind of so I guess <laughs> it feels like the only way that I can contribute something because it's 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 how the writing comes out I guess and I think it's I think it's necessary I think in a way I mean I don't want to sound too like I don't want to sound too pretentious really but hmm. I think it's necessary in a way with certain certain art I, I don't know if it's all art forms but certain art forms I always think of that there's a there's a great clip of Adele singing someone like you at the Brits and it's so raw and so vulnerable and and everybody identifies with it because it's like that they, they totally get it so I always think that if you're being vulnerable in music or in writing or in a poem or whatever it's kind of like the access point between two people you know if you don't do that there's no you know, we meet we meet in a place where we kind of open up to it, to one another. And I know, I mean, um, without wishing to embarrass you by bringing your work into that, you do this in your poetry. You know, you you do that too. And and um, here here we are with sort of different different um, life experiences. But I relate to how you would write about those things in poetry, and it seems like vi vice versa. So it, yeah, you're right, it makes it sort of accessible for people, um, I think, in a way. And of course you get, you, it's so scary to have those things out in the world. It's one thing writing it and writing the book that you feel you need to write, but it's scary letting go of it, right? It's kind of, um, I don't know if you get this as well, but when something kind of goes beyond your control somehow, it's very scary. I mean, I was doing the audio book, um, the reading for the audio book version of A Line Above the Sky, and I was imagining um, the scared bit of my brain was imagining um, a field day that critics could have with it. So I was going, oh, blimey, I seem like I burst into tears on every page. And I was writing spoof reviews in my head. But actually, for anyone who knows me, that is quite true to, to, to it's just honest because it is kind of uh, how I am. And uh, um, and I've, I've talked to other writers of the same. I think um, writers are sometimes quite thin-skinned um, in a way. And yeah, hopefully some people will relate to that. And if some people do, and if it speaks to their experiences, then that's all you can hope for, really. Um, that you're, you're very brave in the book about, about motherhood and about, and about um, your son. Uh, but there was, there was one extraordinary uh, phrase that really brought me up short. You said after the birth of Alfie, you said, I've forgotten what it is to feel confidence. And I've, I read that and I thought, whoa, so tell tell me about that. What what was going on there? It's come back now, um, <laughs> but yeah, I think it's about that thing of um, that that sudden. If if you're someone, so for example, if if you if you um, have kids like a bit later in life, like I I have done, like in my thirties um instead of in my 20s or whatever um you've done quite a lot of living first and and doing stuff and so you get used to a sense of who you are in the world and um you know maybe there's a bit of an arrogance in that you're used to feeling like you can do things and then this thing that is the most supposedly like the most natural thing of all and it is on one level I definitely experienced it like that too but um you suddenly go in um Oh well, there's no, there's no. Um, I don't know how. Am I doing this right? Is this, is this? Um, you know, every every parent has this feeling. I think, don't they, at the point where they leave the hospital with their baby, and you're sort of going, 
they're letting me take them home. And, and I, don't I do remember that feeling, actually. That. Yeah. 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 It is a weird moment. You've got this, you've got this human, whole human being and you've got to put them in their cot and put them in the car. That was a very bizarre moment, yeah. It's very, and I think in in some ways, I mean, it's a lot easier for for new parents now in some ways because there's a wealth of information accessible to you at your fingertips and you can listen to podcasts and you can talk to bit and there's a WhatsApp group with, uh, you know, and you meet other people at the time. But that's also a bit bewildering if you're an anxious person, if you're an anxious new mum, for instance, because there's so much noise it's like if you spend too long on Twitter, you're just going to think that you're doing it all wrong and that your instincts might be wrong. And of course, if I go back to the other things in my life that I enjoy doing, like climbing and writing, my instincts are usually right and they're there for a reason and I trust them. But because the stakes are so high with something like motherhood, because you care so much, this is the, the most vital thing you've ever done in your life. Um, you just, you just, I was just very, very scared of, of, of getting it wrong, I think. Um, and so, yeah, you, you do kind of lose your confidence for a while. Well, I did. Um, I, I'm not, I don't, I'm not saying that, that everybody feels like that. And then over time you get it back, uh, I think, and um, trust yourself a bit more. But it's yeah, kind of yeah. hard to trust yourself when yeah. there's a lot of, you know, your baby's not sleeping, so you Google something about, and, and you would get 50,000 contradictory answers. <laughs> and most of them are to do with, with somehow blaming the mother. That, oh, have you tried this? Have you tried this? And you, you can just think, oh my goodness. I remember, um, you know, reading at some point, um, oh no, I remember the exact point that I decided it was all rubbish. And that was, um, uh, when I was breastfeeding my son and um, he was sleeping appallingly, as most young children do, that's just what they do, isn't it? Um, and uh, I read something that was saying, oh, maybe it's because you're drinking too much caffeine in the daytime and maybe that's getting into the milk and it's making him really wired and and you despair. You think, but if I don't drink the caffeine, I might drop him on his head in the day because I'm so exhausted. And, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. and uh, I remember this particular day where I drunk about, four cups of really strong coffee and that night Alfie had one of the only good night's sleep he'd ever had since he was born and I was like right there you go it's nonsense I should stop reading everything and trying to reason all of the answers and I should um, trust what I feel and think instead and it's it's applicable to a lot of life isn't it (laughs) Um, you're you're quite you're quite um some of the descriptions about early motherhood are quite raw. There's a bit where you say it wasn't magic. It was just hard work and, and relentless and difficult. And I was in tears a lot and all that kind of stuff. Do you think we over, do you think we over romanticize motherhood? I probably didn't emphasize it as much in the book because I, I was focusing on that side, but the, the, there was also magic for me there too. And it was like, I knew this was one of the best things that had ever happened to me, but at the same time, there was all that, um, I, I do think of it being a little bit, I don't think we over romanticize it, maybe. It's more that it's a bit, it's a bit like climbing. Um, it's what I call like type two fun, uh, those early days. So 
Um, if, if you ask me about, um, I don't know, the expedition that I did to Greenland um, uh, quite a few years back now, I'd probably describe it in these glowing terms and about the sublime views and the, 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 the summits and the experience of being there. If you'd talked to me when I was in the midst of it, I mostly would have just been knackered, irritable, um, nervous um, and, and just, you know, exhausted from, from the, 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 the stakes, the physical hardship and everything that was going on. Um, and it's a bit like that, I think, with those early days of motherhood. If I look back on it now, I, I, I remember the, the magic bits. But what I wanted to capture a bit in the book is the, is the work as well um, and, and how you, you kind of, um, yeah, how you, how you get used to that. So it is similar. I, I see a lot of parallels between that time. Whether it's well, I, thought, I thought that was so clever the way you the way you kind of managed to find these parallels between between having a new baby and 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 the experience of climbing. I thought it was really clever. Can do you mind if I read if I read back to you one passage? Go for it. Because uh, I just felt I just thought it was so good, and I, I, this 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 really moved me, and I thought it was just. I mean, there are some lovely passages in the book, but I thought this was brilliant. This is when you're talking about um, the after after your son's been born, you've got this group of, of women that you're hanging out with. And I just thought this was fantastic. Um, I shared my joy, fear and bottomless sorrow with the six women I'd half feared on our first meeting. I said their names like a litany, S Susan, Sarah, Charlotte, Rosie, Chloe, Millie, Simona. It became my midnight incantation a reminder that I was not alone. I discovered the indescribable tenderness and closeness that comes from sharing sticky cowpole dawns and 3 a.m. TV, insatiable cake cravings, sore breasts and weeping stitches, colic and winter colds and cluster feeding. We texted through the night, met in parks with our babies swaddled, swaddled in knitted blankets and fleeces, helped each other with GP appointments and impossible nap times and broken afternoons. We could overshare and nobody minded. We met in kitchens and church halls and retail parks and coffee shops, our cheeks sallow and our eyes underscored by shadow. We took walks in winter weather, bracing our bodies against the wind. Together, we formed a shield. I just, I just thought that was just brilliant. I loved it. Oh, thank you. I'm really pleased that you like that bit, especially because you know what? I'm still, in, I'm still friends with, with all of those people. We're still as close as we were then, and uh, they're all, they're all getting their own um, uh, inscribed copy of the book when it comes out. I was always scared of the other girls at school. I liked hanging out with the boys and being a bit of a. Uh, I was a bit of a. What I don't know if what the term would be really now, but like what people would have called a bit of a tomboy at times. I like sport and, and kind of like that as an adult as well. And there's something about this experience of motherhood that um, that was really powerful for me because I was trusting other women in a way that I hadn't felt able to before because I was always scared that they were going to tease me like at school. Um, yeah, it was very, again, you were very vulnerable about about your kind of adolescence and your early years, and I, I, that was that was very appealing as well. This sort of gravitating towards the people that were slightly that weren't quite normal and and, and things like that. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as you get older, of course, then you're like, ah, who wants to be normal anyway? None of us are normal. But I try telling that to teenagers. Oh, I, I feel like now I, I think um, there's a there's a more interesting um culture probably for teenagers now, but it's so much harder in other ways and in other different ways. So actually I wouldn't want to be a teenager now either. Um, <laughs> So I've been I've been doing some research into like um, into creatives and how creatives are formed and how they're made. And one thing I found out, which was really interesting, was that a lot of creatives um, in their early years have imaginary friends. So when I read the bit in um, your book about you having imaginary friends, I thought that was I thought that was really interesting. I just wondered if you could um, I just wondered if you had any any comment to make about that. It makes sense, doesn't it? I'm not so. Uh, I, I would. It would be. Oh, wouldn't it be a great um, project to? Um, hear, uh, clearly, you're the person to do this, Miles. To get as many artists as possible to um, write a profile of their imaginary friend when they were a kid. I think it's <laughs> about living in your own imagine. You know, in your own head and and being a bit of a loner, maybe, and enjoying. Right. They kind of want to be alone, but they don't want to be, and they they they, they want everything at the same time. We're, we're such annoying people, uh, writers. <laughs> yeah, that'd be a great project. You should do it. There was a review. I saw a review. Or somebody said about black car burning. They said this agile, softly spoken novel isn't so much about rock climbing as about being alive. And I thought that was quite a good comment on uh, a line above the sky as well. That it's really what you're really writing about is living positively and, and being alive positively oh that's a, that's a very very kind thing to say not least because i think of myself as a very pessimistic um <laughs> whingy person quite a lot of the time um uh, may, maybe i just save that for for when i'm um talking to my friends and stuff and I, I become positive in the writing but yeah in a sense that's what we're all doing isn't it in our I think I think the act of writing is a celebration of being alive you, you're taking the time to commit something to the air if you're doing performance um, stuff or to the page or and what could be more about um you know being alive than that really um so yeah I'd, I'd like it to be seen in that way do you feel alive when you're writing yes massively so um, more so than any other time apart from maybe climbing and now um going out for muddy walks in the park with my son um and talking about books with people like this 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 conversation makes me feel alive so it's it's been a pleasure well it's been such a pleasure helen i've, I've really enjoyed it thank you very much the book is a line above the sky and it's published by ebury press in uh in a couple of weeks time in march 2022 and uh Helen Moore, thank you very much for talking to uh, the York Calling podcast. You have been listening to Going Underground by York Calling. This episode was written and hosted by Miles Salter and recorded and produced by Graham Smith. Special thanks to Helen Mort for being this week's guest. Don't forget to click follow so that you'll never miss a future episode.